Hi, I'm Angry Man. And I'm Gidget Von LaRue, and we have an 80s movie podcast called the Retro Cinema Podcast. We talk and give trivia, well, just a little bit of trivia, on 80s movies that we both watched back in the 80s. We cover all genres, including comedy, horror, drama, fantasy, musical, animation, action, and even film noir. Yeah, we cover them all. So you can find us at theretrocinema.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and tune in. Klopak, is that Slavic? No! <laughs> give, <laughs> give us, us a, a listen. listen. Welcome to another edition of Childhood Remastered. This is the podcast where we look back at the cartoons and movies and TV shows of our youth and see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I am Sean. And I'm Chris. And today we're going to be looking at the first in a series of spooky Halloween movies. Woo! I finally get my wish. Because today we are covering Mr. Boogity. So, Mr. Boogity was a uh, made-for-TV movie uh, that was that was uh, broadcast in 1986, and it was actually broadcast on the uh, the Sunday Night Disney Movie, the Sunday Disney Movie Night. What was that called? I don't know. I think it was the Sunday Night Movie, the Disney Sunday Night Movie. Was it? Yes. It was. I thought it was part of the uh, the Disney Wonderful World of Color. The Wonderful World of Color, yeah, and, and it was the Sunday night movie. Within the wheel. Yeah, yeah. With, in the part of it, yeah. So, Mr. Boogity has a runtime of 45 minutes, which on TV with commercials was stretched out closer to about an hour. Yeah, like 50-something odd minutes. And for those of you, I'll, I'll just put it out there right now, for those of you who want to watch it, uh, for whatever reason, there are going to be two links at the bottom. The first link that you'll find is of the full movie in HD quality. Straight through the 45-ish minutes. The other is poor quality, but it is recorded on April 20th, 1986 with all of the classic commercials for like Juicy Fruit and Almond Joy and cheese and all just, it's <laughs> fantastic. It's a time capsule so to the mid-80s. So if you want the true time capsule, I would go with the poor quality. But if you actually want to watch the movie or for whatever reason, then go with the HD. So yeah, you can do both if you want. Yeah, so this movie was this movie was sort of the the fever dream of uh, a guy named Michael Janover. He's the he's the writer of this film, and he's he's had a couple of writing credits uh, since that, but it, it's it's really like one off stuff. Like he wrote an episode of this show, he wrote an episode of that show. Yeah, he did. He wrote the film The Philadelphia Experiment, and he has a writing credit for the Jerry Lewis film Hardly Working, and he, as you said, a bunch of TV shows. Yeah, like one episode things. TV shows, and the uh, the actual, and we can talk about this now because yeah. it, it's pertinent. It's it interesting. The actual. So, as a quick rundown of what this movie is about, because this sort of plays into this next part, is there the the movie is about a family uh, a family who moves into a new england town and they get they they buy this new house well not new to them new to them their first house they buy a house and turns out that this house is haunted by a spirit named mr boogity and the their hijinks ensue and they try to eradicate the uh, the the ghost and, and whatnot so 
before we before we get into what happened about that, let's talk about our memories of it. Because I just sort of gave the general outline of the movie. And honestly, I think that for me, the the biggest memory for me is that I remember this movie being a hell of a lot longer. I remember being longer and scarier. Oh, yeah. Now, I remember this. I, I watched this movie plenty of times when I was a kid. And I definitely thought that the movie was like a full-length feature movie. Like it was an hour and a half or so long it just seemed like that to me, but then when I saw it, when we started, when I when I when I got a hold of it to watch it again, I realized that it was only forty five minutes long. I was like, "What? Wow, what the hell?" Well, I, you know, your attention span as a kid is shorter. Do, do you have fond memories of this? Not fond memories? What? No, I do. I have fond memories of it because to me, this movie was. This movie was. We were three years old when this came out. Yeah, the, the movie to me was, I, and I, I've, I believe I saw it when it came out, but then I also saw it you later, know, later, subsequent. You know, this was like a regular movie for me to watch, and because they would replay it around Halloween time, uh, on the, when they were still doing the Wonderful World of Color for Disney, and I always, I always loved it. It was, it was a little bit scary. the The character of Mister Boogity was, was, I mean, for a kid, is is scary. He's this ugly nasty looking face guy yeah. and and uh, he's he's about as menacing as you can get with for someone in the age range of like four four to four to eight i want to say like that's about as menacing as you can be without terrifying the kids and be made by disney yeah exactly and so the the it has it has a I like I liked it. You, I mean, I watched it a, a ton. Uh, I watched it a ton when I was a kid and it and had I, a fun place in your heart. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have a lot of memories of this also. My family... So, before before we were recording, we were at lunch, and I was... I, I think we were talking about how... It, when this came out, we were about three years old, and mm-hmm. I don't know if, if I 100% saw it when I was three, but I probably did. Mm-hmm. Because it was Disney, and it was, you know... Disney's, reg- pre- Disney's pretty safe. And it was on regular TV on ABC. Yeah. So... It's it's very possible that I probably saw it, but my memories of watching it were more so like 88, 89, 1990, 91-ish, when we were, you know, somewhere in the kindergarten to second grade-ish range. Yeah, that's probably most of my memories, too. And, and like, my memories are more so of that, and... And I have fond memories of, of watching this a lot. This was also part of our regular, like, sort of family movie rotation. Mm-hmm. We had recorded it off a of TV, so we had... That, a was, that was all the ones that we had, too. That's why, I, that's why I wanted to put a link to that, like, lo-fi version, because that that felt like the the bootleg VHS that we recorded off a of TV. And and I, I, I loved this movie when I was a kid. I, I had a lot of fun watching it as a kid, and my brother was scared of Mr. Boogity... And so I would who pretend, wasn't? So I would pretend to be Mr. Boogity, and I would scare him around the house, and it was definitely like a fun thing for me. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Boogity in the in the film, his little his little thing that he says to either use his magic or to scare people is he says Boogity Boogity Boo, which is you know in hindsight not all that scary. No, but, it's not. But you it, know, it, yeah. But it is what it is. Yeah. So this movie was written by Michael Janover, and uh, he was uh, he's sort of a. He doesn't have a whole lot of, of writing credits to him. Uh, he wrote he wrote the film The Philadelphia Experiment, and then he wrote uh, he has a writing credit in Jerry Lewis's Hardly Working, and then just really it's just 
here and there he's written like a, a TV show here and a TV show there. And uh, he wrote this movie. Actually, the, 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 the genesis of this whole movie project, it, it, it has an interesting beginning because this movie wasn't initially going to be this family-friendly Disney-type movie. Oh, no. No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, if you are familiar at all with, and I'm sorry if you are, if you are familiar at all with the Scary Movie franchise that is produced and directed and mostly starring the Wayans brothers, uh, this movie was actually supposed to be sort of the proto version of the Scary Movie franchise. Well, way proto. Yeah. This would have been like 15 years beforehand. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, the movie was supposed to be originally, his vision, uh, Janover's vision of this movie was for it to be a... Parody, a horror genre parody film in the style of Airplane, but starring Cheech and Chong through Columbia Pictures of all people. Yeah, I'm gonna, like a full length feature film. I'm imagining it sort of in the vein of like a uh, Laurel and Hardy meet the Wolfman type of movie, because the way that the way that Janover in a, in an interview that we have linked in the description, the way that he sort of described it makes it sort of sound like that. Like there's a bunch of sight gags. There's a bunch of or that's what he had wanted, a bunch of sight gags and a bunch of other stuff in there that were making it sort of this sort of slapsticky comedy type type movie about the classic monsters. Yeah, he says it was, quote, really unleashed. But, you know, I will say the scene that, that's described in this interview, if you want to go read it, you can. But for those of you who don't, uh, essentially what happened was is the deal with Columbia fell apart when when it turns out he offended the head of the studio at the time, who was an older uh, Catholic guy, who was a really strict Catholic, with the scene that was basically Max von Sydow from the original Exorcist playing uh, Father Marin, who was going to be playing like a parody version of himself. From The Exorcist. From The Exorcist. The movie The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. And he had Max von Sydow chasing the father down the hall with an enema bottle of holy water. <laughs> and that's probably he thinks why it got canceled. And then Disney got a hold of him and said, like, we're gonna we want you to do Cheap Thrills, which is the name of his original concept, but like for Disney. Yeah, so so you know, pull all the teeth out of it and and really just go as tame as you can. And really that's what happened. I mean, I don't know what the uh, the original movie concept would have turned into, but what we got with Mr. Boogity was an absolutely family friendly a very widely wide like generational movie that you can you can watch with almost any age group. Yes. Now the the makeup for this is done by a guy named I just want to mention it because Mr. Boogity's look is sort of uh, iconic for those who remember this cult classic mm -hmm. and it's done by a guy named Rick Stratton who has done he worked on a bunch of stuff. He he won an Emmy in 99 for his work on X-Files and also back in 1990 for Alien Nation, but He's worked on movies like Pirates of the Caribbean, Beetlejuice, Jarhead, and War, the War of the Worlds remake. So he's had like substantial makeup work experience. Like he, It's not that he doesn't know what he's doing. When you watch this movie, that won't necessarily be apparent because this movie was made on a teeny tiny shoestring budget. Oh, yeah. Short, like shot over a very short period of time. And when the first one got very popular, they went ahead and made a sequel called Bride of Boogity, which we're not going to cover this year. But may get covered next year as yeah. part of uh, our Halloween festivities. But yeah. he finally got the money to do real special, sort of real special effects. He even had to use somebody's pre-molded face, a different actor's face, for the actor's 
mask in this movie, which is why it looks so cheap. It yeah. does look pretty cheap. But yeah. as a kid, it was terrifying. Yeah, because the the way they get around it is... I, I'm sure this movie would look... So the thing about this movie is it's never been released on DVD. Ever. It's never been released on anything. Like, it's never been converted to high definition. The only copies of this are copies, like VHS copies that people have have uh, have transfer, transferred onto a digital media. But... I really think that the uh, that the mask was the mask benefited from the low definition uh, viewing media that that was used. So when you saw this on TV, the lighting was not that great. Whenever Boogity was around, he had this sort of yeah. all the ghosts in the movie had this had this uh, electric glow around them. His was green. The other two were red and blue. So when you had that electric green glow around him, plus the low definition, plus the just sort of dark lighting, you didn't really notice how bad the mask looked because no. there weren't a ton of zoom in close-ups of the mask. There's one or two, I think at the very end of this, this TV movie and it doesn't look great. Yeah. Uh, it, but like, he's supposed, he's supposed to be a guy who blew up his house and by accident and, and, by accident and died in over that blast. 300 years ago. So his face, I'm assuming is burned and scarred from that explosion. That's what, but then the other two characters who also died in the blast were not disfigured. So who who knows? It was their good aura, Sean, that yeah, saved was. them. Yeah. So the movie was uh, produced by Steve North. Uh, he is the producer of the 2002 movie Dinotopia. And he also that produced was a TV movie. A TV movie. Yeah. It's like a like a I think it's a TV miniseries. That yeah. They did. I never got to see it, but I remember when it came out because the books were popular when we were younger. Yeah. And I had wanted to see it, but then I've also felt like I'm too old for this. I'm too cool. <laughs> and so then I didn't get around to it and then I kind of regretted not seeing it, but there's always you the, can always go back. I can. That's what this show's all about, Sean. <laughs> And so the other thing that he, he he's worked on several things, but the next thing I, I put in here was the TV miniseries Cleopatra starring Billy Zane. Billy Zane. That's right, Billy, Billy Zane. Zane. I'm hoping since we since we're mentioning Billy Zane, I'm hoping that I, what I'd like to do in the future at some point, I'm just putting this out there. Titanic. Oh no, God, no, no, um, no. I'm, the Phantom. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. But what I want to do is I want to do a block. I want to do the Phantom. And I want to do the Shadow, and I want to do Rocketeer. Those three movies, kind of in that, <laughs> in that like era. Yeah, we talked about that I think uh, a while back. But yeah. yeah, I want to cover the three of those. Sorry, it's side the side thing. Sidebar, sidebar. Yeah, no sidebar. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the, the production company for this is Walt Disney Television, which is now defunct. Like actually, long since defunct, two thousand three. I guess they wouldn't need a Walt Disney Television anymore since by two thousand three they had the Disney Channel. And I don't know if Disney XD was around in 2003, but I mean that was essentially the Disney Disney Television was built to do those those sort of Sunday night yeah world of color type movies. It was and like TV uh, shows. Donald Duck presents Sidekicks, uh, The Wuzzles, Tailspin. Like we've mentioned them mm -hmm. some of these shows obviously before. Yeah. Um, By 2003, all of any of those shows that they would have had would have either been on Disney Channel or Disney XD. Yeah. So like Gargoyles, uh, Lion King's Timon and Pumbaa. Uh, gosh, the Recess, Pepper Ann. Oh God, I forgot about Pepper Ann. Hercules, the animated series, Kim Possible. But they, you know, going further back, you know, they did like Adventures in Wonderland, the the live action thing. They also did PB and J Otter. You know, and, and so I mean, they it's not like they didn't cover a lot of stuff, and they did do a lot of uh, television films that you know you can actually go kind of way back and and pull up like this one. 
Mm-hmm. And there's also another one that I wanted to mention just because it's uh, Disney World of Color that I sent you a thing to today. The uh, it, it's it's called Fuzz oh. Bucket. Fuzz Bucket. Yeah, yeah, it came out around the same time. Uh, I, I'm hoping maybe we can cover Fuzz Bucket because it's also got kind of a cult following. But yeah, but yeah. So uh, we could actually spend all day on Walt Disney Television, but we're not going to because yeah. we're here to talk about Mr. Boogity. Yeah. Finally, after all my pushing. <laughs> yeah, the director was Oz Scott, and uh, he was uh, the director. His first movie was Bustin' Loose, starring Richard Pryor. That was in '81. He directed episodes of the Jets of the Jeffersons as well as Lois and Clark. Uh, Jag, NCIS, Eureka, and dozens of other shows. Uh, I really love Eureka. That's one of I, I loved that show. Even though I did the, too. even though the formula was super, I was, it was literally the show gonna was say gonna, the, same the show thing. was super formulaic. And I by the third season, the third season it got pretty formulaic. But I didn't care yeah. when they went to Mars. It was like all right. Yeah, he whatever. was a he was a producer for uh, the Wonderful World of Disney as well. Now the music in this is composed by John Addison, who. I, there's a little thing, like a side discussion just very briefly, but, so he was a composer and a World War II veteran who was a tank officer in the Battle of Normandy. Now, he, that's actually sort of interesting because he worked on a movie with Michael Caine, Anthony Hopkins, Gene Hackman, Robert Redford, Laurence Olivier, and Sean Connery called A Bridge Too Far, which is about Operation Market Garden. It's a famous World War II operation, and he actually fought in it <laughs> so he had first-hand knowledge so he's a composer but he had first-hand knowledge of that which i thought was kind of cool i just want to mention that wouldn't that be great like the composer yeah i mean he's the composers are not normally on set no so no. you just have the composer being like um excuse me but that is not how it happened no 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 yeah get exactly. back in your sound booth. that'd be kind of awesome though you know yeah he, he did the theme music for murder she wrote which is kind of cool i cannot even think of what that music I, is i don't remember the last time I watched something about Murder, She Wrote at all. Like, I, it's I was not just, even in my brain anymore. I was just trying to think of the music, but instead I thought of the MacGyver. Theme. Yeah, I did the same thing when I was <laughs> filling out these notes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he does have an Oscar and a Grammy for Best Original Film Score for the movie Tom Jones, which is not the Tom Jones everyone's thinking about. Mm. It, it's it, it, You can go look it up. It's a great film. It's from 1963. So obviously not about that Tom Jones. So let's just jump into the cast because I want to talk about the movie. Yeah, so the cast, uh, one thing I want to say about the cast is aside from the daughter, all the other cast, like the character names, aside from the daughter, all the other character names are weird names. And they're, they're not, oddly spelled, Yeah, too. they're not normal names. So the first uh, the first in the cast is Carlton Davis. That's but the character. But it's spelled Carl E-T-O-N. Yeah, Carl Layton. Carlton Davis, which they the wife just calls him Carl. And he's played by Richard uh, Mauser, who is a, a pretty famous actor. He's appeared in over 80 films. He was the former president of SAG between uh, 95 and 99. So he's president twice then of SAG. Yeah. Because they get, I think it's two, two year, year terms. terms. Yeah. yeah. So he sits on the board, the corporate board for the Motion Picture and Television Fund. Uh, he was in They're the like f- a nonprofit advocacy group for um, to like get, they're, they're, they work towards getting small projects out to the big screen. That's yeah. kind of the thing. Uh, he was in the he was in the thing the original thing from eighty two. Yes. Uh, he was in the TV miniseries version of it from nineteen ninety, and he's had a bunch of just uh, he's had a ton of just smaller roles on a bunch of TV shows like he Mash referred to and as Happy like a Days. Character actor. Yeah, I was actually I was, when I was researching, I was trying to find some more information, and I, I happened upon a radio interview that he did a couple of maybe a year or two ago. Oh, really? Where he was he was talking about how. Uh, he was talking about his career and how he essentially 
he did all those bit roles and he said that you know he he's gotten to himself in a to a place where he can take roles based on what he wants to do rather than just needing to work and he'll take those bit roles and he said you know he was describing it as that's how most actors make a living you know you don't have a ton of actors who are who are these big name, right. you know, making 10 and 20 million dollars, uh, or 40 million uh, or yeah, whatever per, per year or per show that they per do movie. Yeah. But you have the most, most of the actors who are their bread and butter is doing these smaller One parts, day, these character. supporting characters on a TV show or two on episodes, a movie. three episodes. Yeah. And, whatever. He, and, and that's basically what he did for the majority of his career. Yeah. He had mashed a, a happy days, law and order, Murphy Brown, like uh, there's a dozens of them, but yeah. And his character is, I remember, I have memories of him like on all of these shows too. Yeah. Like he's like, he's a very good character actor too. So, yeah. I mean, he, I one I, of those guys that's like, where do I know him from? Yeah, no, where you see exactly him and you're like, where do people? I know him from? Well, and apparently it's like everything. Yeah, but, but his, I, his I character liked him in this. Did, yeah, I, I think like he did a good too. job in this. His character in this movie is that of a. Uh, he's the father, obviously, of the of the group of the three kids of the yeah. three kids, and he is a uh, he is a fran- <laughs> he's a franchise owner of a gag and joke shop, and and his. His called Gag City. Yeah, and and the whole the whole like j- the whole point of the movie or the whole the 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 genesis of the movie is that he gets a franchise location in this town called Lucifer Falls, where he has to move the entire family. They never say where they move from, but they have to move the entire family. Well, they, it's implied that they're moving from like a big city. Yeah, because they're they're coming from like they're complaining that they don't. Uh, the daughter at one point makes a, a remark that. Uh, they probably don't know who Bruce Springsteen is. Yeah, they, they move from a big city to a to a small town in New England somewhere, somewhere. non nondescript town in New England. Did you notice? So they bought the, they bought the house that's in this movie. And they that's bought their the first. Ha- that's their first home purchase. Sight unseen, they bought it. <laughs> Sight unseen. It it's it's like a murder scene. I mean, that's what it looks like. And yeah. it kind of technically is. As advertised, definite fixer-upper. <laughs> Dad, let's go home. This is home, sweetheart. Do you think it's haunted, Dad? Of course not, son. The realtor would have told me if it was. Isn't it great? Guys, there are no such things as ghosts. And the the house is filled with cobwebs. It has knob and two wiring, so it's definitely not up to code. I love, I love. Well, maybe it was up to code in 1985 when they. No, no, knob and two wiring hasn't been to code for. Yeah, (laughs) I just love. Sorry, I know it's like a weird thing for me to know, but well, you know, you have a house. Yeah. Uh, I love that when he gets out of the car when they finally get there because they're traveling like the whole day to get there and they get there at night so it's rain or it's lightning and thunder and wind blowing and it looks all spooky and when he <laughs> when uh, when Carl jumps out of the car because they're driving in this big giant gag city van like a big big panel van like RV sort of yeah almost. when he jumps out he goes just like the real estate agent said unique fixer upper <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> like, it's like the, the new millennial home purchasing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so sad, but true. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I, I <laughs> so the, the, since we're kind of talking about it in the, in the story, is it weird that my thought was maybe he should like reevaluate his like employment because like 
the only they're now purchasing a home for the first time in the middle of nowhere yeah that looks like a murder scene they had to purchase it sight unseen over the phone and their daughter is like i don't know 17 or something yeah so maybe the the gag store franchise is like not the best way to like support a family so for yeah, those the, of you with the gag store franchise you might want to rethink about that yeah the the, uh, the town of lucifer falls gets you you see it more in the second movie which a we're lot more really, in the second one which we're not really talking about but from from that you you get the feeling that it's a town of like less than ten thousand. Oh, see, I was gonna say less than like three thousand. Well, I was gonna I was gonna say less than five, but I wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt that maybe it has some sprawling fingers that just it's like a it's like a big little town. Maybe. But but yeah, it's it's one of those towns where like they they have the um you know what it reminds me of? So not that I watch it a ton, but Kathy watched a ton of it, is Gilmore Girls. Yes. So it reminds me of that kind of town. Where, because they were in New England. I, in felt, I like that you you felt you had to like re like reassert your masculinity yeah. by by saying you don't watch Gilmore Girls. Well, there's plenty of times where I've been sitting right where we're sitting right now, and Kathy went and blazed through the entire series of Gilmore Girls, not not 15 feet from me watching it on the couch. So it's like, yeah, it's not. So not it was horrible. a lot of it was a lot of background noise for me, and then eventually something would happen that was just like, wait a minute, what? And I would turn around and look at the TV. Well, and then you get stuck watching a few. No, yeah. no, no, yeah. My, no. my sister watched it when it was on, and I, I'd watched a few episodes with her. So yeah. no, I know exactly no, what you're so, talking about. So that, the town that they live in, which I can't freaking remember, it, it's sort of like the Lucifer Falls town that the that the uh, the davises moved to because it's that same sort of small town they do stuff in the town square everybody kind of knows everybody they call it a town square so i mean this is like <laughs> an old town yeah so the next character is eloise davies now her name Davis. is not weirdly spelled it is not it, but eloise is a name that you don't hear that often no no well i mean my daughter's name eleanor so it's yeah. also not a name super it could just be one, like one of those but yeah eloise is not a, a name you hear well at the time that you heard very often it's becoming actually pretty popular yeah older names are older style names are becoming more popular but uh she's played by mimi kennedy and uh she is mostly known for her comedic roles and it shines through in this in this uh yeah in this in this movie because she gets i think the funniest lines in, in a family of in a family that has a gag joke business and because his dad every, is constantly on point on show all the time. Just making jokes all the time. He's doing that Robin Williams thing where he's never off. Uh, she she has these really quick sort of sarcastic lines that she says. That, that are genius. Yeah, she doesn't have she a She has ton, the best lines in the, in the movie. Yeah, she doesn't have a ton of lines, but the ones that she say, well, the ones that she does have are usually really good. Yeah. Um, she. Uh, so she Mimi was, Kennedy, I, I put in here because I remembered it. So... I had always wondered watching this sh- this other show that I'm going to name here in a second. It's like, why does that woman look familiar? And now as an adult and going back and looking this stuff up, I was like, oh, that's why. <laughs> so the TV show Dharma and Greg, which to be fair is like not the greatest show. It's it's about as emotionally inspiring as um, doing your taxes. But but she was a character that was like a reoccurring character in that show. And she was also in Aaron Brockovich and Midnight in Paris. Like she's actually got a pretty substantial career, but she also to kind of is like, like Mauser and that she has a sort of, uh, she's one of those hardworking Hollywood actors. character actors had to like put, put a lot of feet on the pavement. Yeah. You know, uh, one of those people that by the end of their career, you look at their IMDB and there's like 387 entries. Yeah. Now she has right now she's a recurring character on the TV series Mom on CBS. If you watched that 
Uh, she's on it along with Anna Faris and Alice Janney. So oh, Anna Faris, I know they're splitting. Up. Love is dead, Sean. Love is dead. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. That just means that the the thing that I've seen now is now all we need to do is wait for the uh, wait for the Jennifer Lawrence uh, uh, what's his face announcement that they're getting together. Oh God, yeah. Well, we'll see. Oh well, not 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 germane to what we're talking about. No, no. So the next character is their youngest son. Oddly enough, not I'm not going to start with the oldest, but the youngest son, whose name is Ari Davis. Ari, A U R I E. Ari. Another weird name, but and it, I've seen I've seen uh, I've seen his name listed, the character's name listed as letter R period letter E period too. Yes, I've seen that too as like an alias. So I don't know if I don't know if his name is actually Ari, like A U R I E, or if his name was like Richard electromagnet or whatever i don't know yeah i don't know but it was portrayed by a kid named benjamin gregory who's just mostly known for his role as brian on elf yeah that's it and the next one is i guess arguably i would like say one he's of the, the more famous yeah he's probably the best known actor but not our the, but he's not probably the best. best known to the people listening to the show yes Probably. It's David Faustino, who he, is known for being Bud Bundy on uh, Married with Children. Yeah, he played Corwin Davis in this. Corwin is his name. Yeah. And we last mentioned him in our coverage of Gummy Bears, because he's credited as the voice of Cavan in a few episodes in the last season. And he's currently the host of Old Scratch Radio on Dash Radio. He has like a syndicated radio podcast, so which is kind of cool. And I didn't realize this, but apparently he's the voice of Mako from The Legend of Korra. Huh. Yeah, and it's another voice, uh, Avatar-related voice that I didn't realize. Yeah, that's cool. And so. if uh, if Robot Chicken is to believe, he's also been keeping us safe from terrorism since like <laughs> 2003. I love Robot Chicken; <laughs> it's so good. Uh, the next character is the most commonly named uh, Jennifer Davis. She is the oldest sister, so it goes in order of the family. It goes Jennifer, then Corwin, then uh, Ari. So Jennifer is played by Christy Swanson. Christy Swanson. If you don't know who Christy Swanson is, she is the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the movie uh, in 1992. Now, I I didn't really realize this because, I, I mean, I liked the show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I always wondered because I'd seen the movie and then saw the, the show and I wondered how they're somehow related. But they are related because Joss Whedon wrote both of them and his original script for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, the way that he wrote it, was so that it could have a sequel and the original sequel that he wrote was going to be what the series ended up being but then the script for the movie got changed and so he essentially just kind of went with the sequel that he came up with and they're sort of loosely tied together Mm -hmm. but she's actually a local though she was born and raised in mission viejo and went to el toro high school mission viejo missed it yeah my my nephew calls it uh mission viejo uh, yeah because he you know when he learned to say it he was too young so i i don't remember this but apparently she was in the spoof film hot shots and uh she was in the movie the phantom that's why that's why i thought about the <laughs> phantom and most recently she was a vocal and outspoken supporter of donald trump in orange county and she was she was like one of those people like uh what's his name charles in charge she was like one of the scott bale yeah scott bale she's one of those celebrities so. good, good for her i guess i guess whatever yeah. makes you happy now, uh, now we have uh william hanover who is also the titular mr boogity he's played he was played by howard witt um howard witt has since left us i think 
Yeah, he died in June of 2017. Yeah. And he was nominated for a Tony in 99 for his portrayal of Charlie in the Broadway revival of Death, Death of a Salesman. He's had a long career going back from the 70s. I mean, he's he's done things like Hill Street Blues and Taxi, Murder, She Wrote, Law and Order, Golden Girls. I mean, I actually, I had to stop writing stuff that he was in. He's a lot like Richard Mauser was. He was like... Character uh, actor. A character actor doing like a lot of small roles. Well, you have to... I, I, would, I, was, I was thinking about this. So you, you have to figure that... Someone who's signing up for a Disney movie, like a, a Disney movie that was really supposed to serve as a pilot for maybe a, a series or, or or a mini series or something, because that's what this was. It was like a pilot. Uh, that well, I, I've seen it said that it's a pilot, but I don't know where where that comes from. See, because I I couldn't find any evidence to support that it was a pilot. I could see it being a pilot for a show because because at the end of the movie. Carlton says like everything it's all over it's all over ha 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 and then and then you have Boogity come back because they defeat Boogity well at the you end. just hear the laugh and then you a, hear you hear wanna bet ha 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 and then, then they, they but then the music's like dun 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 whoop yeah so I could kind see of it, in a silly way so I just I, I can see it being like a setup to a series where they have to constantly deal with like Boogity attacking them well I feel like what they did was is they they left it open to write a sequel I don't know if I would say that this was meant to be a show that this this was something that I was I was thinking we could talk about later, but since we're talking about it now, let's do it. Uh, I they left. I feel like I feel like they left it open to do a sequel if it got big enough, which it obviously did because they rushed the sequel out right away. Yeah, and they made a sequel that again we're not going to talk about mostly because we want to. I want to talk about it again next year, but I did watch it. I already I watched both of them back to back. So. Mm-hmm. The second one does not end in a place that would allow a sequel. Yeah. So well, maybe, I mean, maybe they if, were if hoping. Was, maybe they it, were hoping for a TV show, but then settled on a sequel. I feel like this is what I feel like. I feel like they made the first one hoping that it might get a sequel. It did get a sequel because it was popular, and people assumed that they were writing it for a series. But obviously, if there's a sequel, why would it be a failed pilot? Because they didn't do one, and they didn't make them both together back to back. Because the cast changes. Yeah, the cast changes because so the, a lot the, of them go... They made the first one. It was popular. They turned right around and made another one and rushed it out by the end of the year. Yeah, because I want to know... And and I don't know. I don't. Maybe you know. I want to know how long it took to make this because... I tried to find it everywhere, but... So it's 45 minutes long, right? The whole movie, the whole movie, quote unquote, is 45 minutes long with no commercials. Well, what's the average length for a regular old, like a small time uh, movie... It's a, a three well, months or less. I'm no. Right? I'm just. I'm just saying. Like I'm, I would imagine, I'm treating it as a TV show because we've both been to to sitcom. Yeah. So TV they can show. film on set. They can film a a TV series sitcom uh, in about a week. They can film it. They can film it faster than that. Well, I but feel. that's usually about how long it takes. Yeah. They usually so take, if, film about one ep, one to two episodes a week, depending on shoots. So I'm wondering if the character, if the actors in this movie, because it was just such a short. 45 minute thing i mean it's essentially like like uh, like filming a normal hour-long tv show i think like, it probably took them under a month to film this. i, I want to say it probably took them under two weeks to film well it because because, because some all stuff was, looks like it's on location yeah because but there's a few shots that are done like either in a uh, like on a production lot 
or it's they had to go somewhere on location or something. Yeah. And then there's the outside shots of the house, which I don't know where that house came from. And then there's all the shots that happen inside the house, and that's about it. I feel like the shots yeah. inside the house are either in an actual house or they're on a soundstage. More likely on a soundstage because it's probably cheaper actually that way. Yeah. And and I think what happened was is they made the first one. And then it was so popular that they made a second one, and then they put a little bit more effort into it. And, yeah, because it's an hour and a half long. It's and, like it's like a regular movie. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, I really don't think it was meant to be a sequel, or I mean, I don't like really think it was show? meant to be a TV show because it would be like the worst TV show ever. It would not be good. It, uh, like it had to have been a one-off. It, it would, yeah, it would have, it would have been, it would have been something that was way like derivative of of what it originally was. It would have to be like a monster of the week. Yeah. Or something like well, that. In a the, ghost of the week. Well, in the second movie... I mean, they named the town Lucifer Falls. So you just... Yeah. You figure that, like, the town is cursed or something. Like, maybe more yeah. stuff happened. Because... In the second movie, there's, like, a big wax museum with all these, like, creature monsters. Yeah. That come to life and then go back. And it could be that, that at some point thinking. the series, like, they all come to life and each episode is tracking down a new monster of the week. Yeah, could be something like that. But but a family a family of uh, gag store people is not the best protagonist. I don't think. No, but it could be funny though. It could be funny. And yeah. make for a good sitcom. Well, let's talk about the last couple of characters. So the last big character uh, in the movie is uh, is uh, Neil Weatherspoon, and he's played by John Aston. And if you don't he's know, he's got about name, two minutes worth of screen time. Yeah, maybe maybe five. Yeah, but he's he's prominently displayed in the in the credits. Uh, John Aston as Neil Weatherspoon. I think Weatherspoon. at the time he was the biggest name. Yeah, so he was famous for playing Gomez Adams in the original 1960s Adams Family. Uh, he has done. Uh, he was married to uh, Patty Duke. He did the Attack of Killer Tomatoes film, National Lampoon's uh, European Vacation. He did some voice work on the the, uh, the animated show uh, Duckman, as well as the Adams Family in Tasmania. He is the adopted father of Sean Astin of Rudy and Lord of the Rings fame. He is. He is not his biological father. He is his adopted father. Uh, That's he was true. A, he was the second husband of Patty Duke and adopted the son that she had already had with her first husband as his own. Now, which... we did briefly mentioned something that he worked on a long time ago well i don't know how long ago but do you remember me mentioning a tv show with marty ingles from i'm dickens he's fenster do you remember me mentioning that not at all <laughs> so he did a bunch of uh stuff from uh hanna barbera okay he had done and he's done a bunch of other stuff well he was on that show with with austin so, okay yeah i didn't put that in her notes it's just like i remembered and then yeah. So, so the next three characters are really kind of they have almost as little screen time as uh, Neil Weatherspoon does. You have the widow Marion, who I keep misnaming Maid Marion. I didn't even spell it correctly in my own notes as I took it through the through the movie because it's spelled M A R I O N via everything that I found on the interwebs. It's like Marion Barry. Yes. So widow Marion is Catherine in, Kelly Lang, and yeah. she's basically just known for the bold and the beautiful. Yeah, and and the the character is is someone that the uh, the character of William Hanover, Mister Boogity, was obsessed with three hundred years ago because she was so beautiful and the only person in town who was kind of nice to him. And so she want he wanted him he wanted her for himself, and that's what led to him selling his soul to the devil to get a magic cloak to give him the power to essentially f- force her to love him and spiritually rape her. I guess I don't know 
Yeah, I think that's really what it was. It was all about the spiritual yeah. rapings. Yeah, and then uh, her her son Jonathan is played by a Jamie, kid who only did this movie. Yeah, Jamie McKinnon, and I'm glad he only did this movie because he's one of those kids that he when he talks in movies, oh rockadoodle. Yeah, when he talks in movies, he really exaggerates how he talks. Clip one, it's him. Who, Mr. Boogity? Be careful, Ollie. If he gets you. He could keep you here forever. It's pretty aggravating. Actually. Oh my god! It, it, I'm well, so you know I'm what? so glad he only has like like three lines in the whole movie. You think that? But in the sequel, they cast some other kid to do it, and he does the exact same thing. I don't know if that was a if that was a casting like acting I think they told decision. Him to do it? No, that's yeah. what I mean. Like I don't know if that was a casting acting like thing that that studios and and whatnot wanted back in the like early to mid 80s but that that shit is so aggravating because nobody talks like that I've nobody been, wants to listen to it either. i've known plenty of kids in my life i have known plenty of kids and not one of them has has ever talked like this you're such a big man I don't know. Like nobody talks like that. You pronounce, you enunciate, you pronounce no. words. You don't, you know, you don't have a bunch of Elmer fricking fuds walking around talking because no. that's what they sound like. They sound like little tiny Elmer fuds. Well, as it, far, it, may, it makes me cute. As, as far as that character goes, um, he's basically a throwaway. Yeah, he is. He, he gets so. in a, he gets in a tug of war match with, with the youngest kid over a teddy bear. And, yeah. And he serves as the, uh, he, I don't even know what he, he is. What they, purpose he serves. They, they, they defeat Boogity. He's sort for, of a plot device. Yeah. That's basically what he is. They defeat Boogity for two reasons. One, to get him out of the house. And two, to reunite Jonathan with his mother, Marion, who for some reason he took Jonathan, Boogity took Jonathan back 300 years ago and the magic they say at some point that the magic that keep marion says this she says the magic that keeps him in the house also keeps her out i cannot enter your home well yes you can you certainly can if i invite you mr boogity prevented me he prevented you how dare he he had kept me from my son for over 300 years your widow, Marion. Yes. Oh, well, this is a pleasure because the children told us all about you. You, oh, please, you must come in. You must. You don't understand. As long as Mr. Boogity dwells within, the magic that keepeth him there also keepeth me out. Right. Which makes no sense. No. But, but apparently back, so... Because the rest of the notes are, are forget it, just it's fine. Yeah. Uh, the the in the movie they go to this like Lucifer Falls store after you know this is about midway through when they figure out midway kinda, through the forty five minute movie. Yeah. <laughs> so when they figure out that the house is at least when the kids the figure kids out it's figure haunted, it out. they go to the Lucifer Falls Historic Society where Mr. Witherspoon is, and I guess he also works there. And he is he is totally day drunk. Oh, he, he is, is for sure totally day drunk. Totally day drunk. Which, he is, to be fair, day drunk is the best kind of drunk. He is past he is past the he is passed out on his desk, yeah. and the kids wake him up and they say, Mr. Witherspoon, what are you doing here? And he, he has to, I, I thought it was a great line, great delivery. Huh? Who? Why? Mr. Witherspoon, what are you doing here? What? What am I doing here? Ah, I work here. 
What are you doing here? Isn't this a historical society? Ah, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, we want to know how come our house is haunted. Ah, so that's it. <laughs> you want to know about the house? <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I kind of laughed. During that <laughs> I point. laughed at that part too, because um, he's like, because it, it's sort of, it's either like, it's either he's saying to the kids like, what am I doing here? What the fuck are you doing here? Oh, I work wait. here. Oh, wait. I do work here. Oh. Or or he's really drunk and he's like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? See, I think it was the latter. Yeah. Because he looks like it was the latter. Because he he's all disheveled when they yeah, wake him up. no, he, he is. He's he's completely like he just got woken up out of a stupor. For sure. There is a, the reason why I brought that part up, though, is because he does this like explanation of what happened. Exposition. At, exposition. Exposition. Yeah. And he busts out a pop-up book to do it. A pop-up book so with my, a fucking lock on it. I have memories of like my, I have very specific childhood memories of that scene with the pop-up book where it cuts to like a flashback from like 300 plus years ago and explains that essentially Boogity was the town jackass, but that the good widow Marion uh, wanted nothing to do with him, but she she didn't. She was nice to him. She everyone nice else, everyone him. else was like, everyone else shunned him, but she was nice to him. But they were also afraid of him. Yeah, and then because she turned down his advances, he sold his soul to the devil in exchange for a magic cloak that made him invisible. By the and way, then what the first thing he does with his invisibility cloak? Because I was thinking, oh, he's got an invisibility cloak. No, it's like, just a magic cloak. It's not invisibility. It's supposed to give him magic powers. They said invisibility. It said invisible? make him invisible. Oh. I thought it was just a magic cloak. No, it that's that's the thing. But it says to make him invisible. Oh. And I thought, so the first thing you did with your invisibility cloak is you went and stole a kid. I would have thought that since you were into the Good Widow Marion, you would have used that invisibility cloak and pulled a porkies like... 1600s well he is he is a puritan because he all these people were puritans so he he disappeared to look at her socks oh yeah Mm. oh show me those wrists i can smell the ankle on this one (laughs) no so the the thing that i like about that scene and i actually think it's pretty clever so yeah the way that they shoot it is yeah so witherspoon opens up like on a a a stage yeah so witherspoon opens up this book and it's literally a pop-up book and he starts telling the story and as he's telling the story it does like the woo 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 flashback and it goes to the scene but the characters so the characters in the story that he's telling are real people real actors who are who are acting out the scene but the scene that they're in is the pop-up book yeah the so background like, set it's a set of a pop-up book on a stage is if you are sitting up in the balcony because the shots are always like long shots like yeah, you're it's you're a, it's sitting a, on a sound stage like up on a balcony watching them do this like sort of like high school production yeah it's it's like if you got shrunk down into the pop-up book and you're actually like their level with everybody watching it's them really smart yeah the way that they do it yeah no it was it was super clever like the trees are are cardboard cutouts the the town like the houses are, are false fronts like, yeah and, very obviously and so. when the devil when the devil opens up the his little closet to pull out the cloak i think he literally like like pulls the front of the house off like he moves it like a giant piece of paper yeah and, and then, then behind is like a wall with like a fire drawn on it and he like pulls a thing out yeah it's so, smart yeah like, no, that i was, thought that was like the smartest part of the movie yeah it was it was uh it was really good so but I, I like that scene. That, that's like a good explanation of, of sort of like the background. And then he blows the house up. I didn't understand how his magic somehow tied her to the house. Yeah, but I, I like I like how this in this Disney movie, because Disney's not afraid to kill people because they kill parents all the time. But in this movie, you have someone who sold his soul to the devil, 
then kidnapped the child and then blew up himself, the child, and the mother. And when... when uh, With demonic magic. Yeah, when... But when, in modern day, everything's like super sweet and, and like whatever. It's a yeah. weird juxtaposition. Yeah, when Witherspoon was asked by the kids what happened to them, like what happened, he said they became ghosts instead of saying they died he just says they became ghosts well they got blown up so no shit they became something yeah but then either pieces on the wall or something <laughs> uh but yeah so the the movie there's uh, a lot of fun like nostalgia though like if you're just if you are sort of from that era there's like little things where where because like do you remember the other day we were talking about breakfast cereal yes and so this was like, I don't know, maybe two days ago when you were at my house, we were hanging out and we were talking about breakfast cereal. Nobody eats breakfast cereal anymore. They're super cheap now in the supermarket. They're probably cheaper today than they than they were back then. Yeah. And But if you're watching this movie, everybody sits down and eats a bowl of cereal, orange juice with toast and strawberry jam. Mm-hmm. And th- that... Uh, I thought it was kind of cool because they have these scenes where like they sit down, they do breakfast. And in the second one, I just very quickly, cause they have another one of these like breakfast moments where they're eating the same thing, but they, yeah. they, they have these like weird little nostalgic moments, like with the food and with the clothing. And it's very much like a time capsule. Yeah. So one of the things that, that for me, that is really nostalgic about the food part is so there's a part in the movie where, and I don't know why it sticks out in my head, but there's a part in the movie where, the mom, Eloise, she gets up. They're all camping out because they've all just encountered Mr. Boogity for the first time. There was like this this uh, dancing mummy scene and these rubber hands clapping and it scared all of them. So they're all camping out in the uh, the downstairs by the fireplace. And the mom, for whatever reason, she wakes up. Eloise wakes up because uh, Carlton grabs her. He like turns over. And he's like, oh, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. And he like grabs her shoulder. Like he's asleep talking and moving. And so it wakes her up. So she decides to get up and she goes to the kitchen and she decides to make herself a little midnight snack. She goes to the fridge, which they have these old like cabinet fridges. And she goes to the fridge and she pulls out a like a hoagie roll and a couple of slices of American cheese and like a tomato and and some lettuce and a bread slicing knife and, yeah. and some like deli meat. Yeah. And so she puts that all on a plate. Piles it onto a plate. On, on a single plate. And she walks over to the kitchen, the, the kitchen table. And as she's walking over, she takes a, a bite out of the bread and then sets it down. And then as she's undoing Doing the, like a thing of American cheese. Yeah. Then she hears like a tap, tap, tapping. And this is one of the this is one of the, the, the scenes where she has a funny line because tap, 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 tap. She keeps hearing this tapping and she says... Is somebody tap, tap, tapping at my window? And then she, uh, when she finally goes outside, then that's the first time we see the Widow Marion in her red glowing glory. And she invites her inside and Marion says no. And I really thought it was a really funny exchange. Are you a ghost? Yes. Oh, dear. Would you like to come in or have a cup of coffee? Is it something about coffee, dear? Something that's painful for ghosts about coffee? And she's like, what do you have against coffee? Is it coffee? I, I, yeah, I, I, I almost, I was like, I'm sure Sean's going to make note of this, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, but I did, I did want to mention this whole process also because the scene with the sandwich, I thought, I have never known somebody 
who got up in the middle of the night to make a midnight snack. Yeah, and it's such Ever. a it's such a trope, like of, an old cliche. Yeah, it's such a it's such a trope of old movies and old TV. Like I've never once in my life, and I've I've had plenty of sleepless nights where I wake up in the middle of the night to do, you know, and I just can't sleep. But never once, never once have I ever thought, hmm, I should make myself a sandwich. Because that's all that's going to do is make you even more awake because then you start digesting. And, like, I don't understand that at all. I Yeah, I always thought it was, like, a weird process. And, like, her, just the mom in general, her whole demeanor is really funny because she seems to really deal with her odd husband in Stripe. Oh, yeah, like the, the two of them are great. She thinks he's... If she doesn't think he's hilarious, man, she pretends that he's hilarious. And her laugh <laughs> is iconic for me for this movie. It's, when I think about this movie, that is one of the things that I've had. <laughs> yeah, but it, it reminds me of Revenge of the Nerds. Yes, yes, <laughs> it totally does. And there's this part, though, because the, he's always like telling stories or doing stupid jokes with like fake food or whatever. But... That night when she goes to make herself a midnight fucking sandwich, before that, he decides to tell everybody a spooky ghost story. Keep in mind, this is after <laughs> yeah. the entire family has just has been just has seen like been this traumatized by, by these ghost activities. Ghosts with like a, a, a mummy doll coming to life and everything else. But I will say that scene has the unspookiest music ever. <laughs> makes it, it has no it has no place in this movie at all whatsoever and then it comes it cuts from that to let's do a sleepover and the lights are all out in the living room sitting around a, a fire in the fireplace and the dad tells starts off telling this like trying to tell this like really spooky, spooky story. story yeah it was a dark and stormy night spooky old house was filled with shadows Crawling, slimy, creepy things. Suddenly, there was a noise. It sounded like... Like... Ah! Daddy, what are you doing? And when they're all like, what the fuck, Dad? He's like, what? We're sitting around a campfire. Like an actual spooky story after that. Like, what a dick. Yeah. But she, like, at most, she's mildly, the mom is mildly irritated. But she puts up with it. Why? I don't know. What's funny is the only person in the family that seems to not enjoy the gags, and even though she kind of does, is Jennifer. Jennifer is like, oh my God, stop it, Dad. But she even is still like, okay, like, that's kind of funny, Dad. But the other two kids, the two sons are like, he's hilarious. they're in on it. They're in, they love the toys because they essentially live with a guy who plays with toys. So they like love- Like joke toys. Yeah, like whoopee cushions the and fake teeth. And... Yeah, they love the toys. They love the gags. They, they think their dad is hilarious. They want to be like him. Which is sweet and it is cute. And like, th- th- so this is kind of go going to go towards- because the ending obviously is like the typical like 
Everything gets resolved. Yeah, they they sort of non Boogity gets banished, and the they, Maid Marion and the kid are fine. But yeah, they sort of non-violently d- they banish him by getting he gets his his cloak, which is the sucked source in of by his a power. Shafak. Yeah, he he's he's hoisted by his own petard because he he used that shot. He like bewitched the shop vac to chase one of the kids, and the kid hides behind him, and then that's why it sucks up his cloak. Yeah, it's very silly. Yeah, but what I was thinking though is because. It goes back to something that you and I were talking about earlier is that it seems like the parents in this movie are far more concerned with being their kid's friend than like legitimately being parents and hearing their concerns and making sure they do what they're supposed to. Yeah. Because I would say throughout this movie, it's mostly the parents like cracking jokes and trying they're, to be they're like... They're making light of it. They're, they're trying making to light be of like, the situation. But even when it's not dealing with the ghost, everything's just like about a joke and trying to be the cool parent. But there are scenes when they're legitimately afraid that something's in the house and they're going to go chase after something and they lose track of two of the kids because they're not paying attention. Yeah, that scene, that's when they're going to confront Boogity. Like, I would think if my house... like First of all, I don't believe in ghosts. But if I did and the house was full of ghosts or something... And I had like a clear, like, if I had seen what they had seen and I was going to go and uh, try and defeat, deal with it or something, defeat it, whatever. And I'm bringing my entire family along. Why? I don't know. But if I was going <laughs> yeah. to, I would. First at least, questionable parenting decision. You would always have one parent in the front, one in the back, the kids are in the middle. So you don't lose track of them. Right. Yeah. Like that's how you go to like a theme park. Right. Yeah. You don't say, okay, kids trail behind me. Hope nobody grabs you and molests you in the bathroom. Or hope, hope you, you don't know. just lag behind and then yeah, get hope lost. Hope you don't get killed. Hope the tiger doesn't eat you in the forest or hope the ghost doesn't. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous that they essentially, and, and uh, this can kind of be discussed next year when we do the second one. So they're like, yeah, they're they're not great parents to begin with because they one don't listen because there's a scene right right after all three kids realize that Mr. Boogity is real. Exactly. That they, I know exactly. That they yes. run they run up to their parents and their parents are doing some inventory for the gag shop because it's all just boxes splayed out all over the place. And they're trying to get their dad to listen to them. And the dad keeps ignoring them. And they're like, no, dad, seriously, you need to listen to us. We he need won't to... even look at them while, he, yeah, while they're trying they to talk keep, to him. They keep saying, dad, I have something. To, we need. We have something we need to talk about. We, we need to talk to you about something. He's like, yeah, okay, whatever, kids. You can help me with the inventory now. And uh, I had asked you this a couple of weeks ago because it's something that – it's something I had thought about. Since I don't have kids, I asked you, at what point do you start ignoring your children? Because I see this all the time where a kid will be saying, hey, hey, dad, hey, mom, hey, 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 what's going on? Hey, I got something to say. Blah, well, blah, blah. And the, and the parents yeah. will the parents will just ignore it and will keep with the conversation. But then at what point does that turn into the kid actually has something to say and you're, you're, ignoring, still, ignoring, you're it. still ignoring it because it's become your habit? Well, so, okay, the, the thing for me is because my kid's three and a half and she's extremely talkative. And, and singing, singative. And sings, yeah, singative <laughs> all the time to the point where sometimes uh, you witnessed this the other day when we went out to dinner where like you're trying to have, trying to talk about something and she'll, she'll be quiet. And then as soon as you go to try to talk, then she starts in because she wants the center of attention to be about her. Mm-hmm. Kids will do that. And there is a certain amount of trying to figure out like where to filter. And I get that that maybe is part of the calculus that every parent has to figure out. For themselves with their own kid. But I would argue, I would argue that there comes a certain point when your kid seems 
honestly concerned and legitimately terrified of something that perhaps that's the time to listen to them. Yeah, I, I guess. So the- if my kid comes into the room crying and screaming or upset about something, I kind of have to pay attention. Now, if I'm making dinner and my kid's like, daddy, 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 look, daddy, daddy, look. And I look over and it's just like, isn't this a pretty dress? And I go, yes, it's a very pretty dress. I just burned dinner. So you have to figure out where to filter. That yeah. I get. But I feel like that at least in this movie, both of the parents have kind of... Uh, they don't have that level that they get to where they're like, oh, okay, the kids actually have something to say. Yeah, so they either never had a level and they've always ignored their kid or they just became so immune because either their kids are so terrible or whatever, but... I get the feeling that that they had kids to have free labor for their gag shop. <laughs> Maybe they had their first kid, Jennifer, too early and she was like a, a high school accident or something. Yeah. And and I think that that uh, that also might be why they could barely afford a murder scene of a house when their oldest is 17. Yeah, it's their first house ever. So maybe those are like parental qualities that they picked up with their youngest kid? That's the only thing I can think of, but I feel like like this movie is kind of a good example of maybe being too much of a friend and not enough of a parent. Yeah, I mean, you're, he's he's a lot of a goofball, uh, and both parents are really they're 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 kind of goofballs. They back each other up, and but it, it's it, sweet. It, it falls into the trope. But. It falls into the trope of of a lot of kids' movies where the kids know what's going on and the adults don't believe them. That that's a yeah. common kids' movie trope, and right. they don't believe the kids because they're kids. Why would I believe something that a kid says? Which is sort of true, but if a kid says, hey, there's this thing and it's really scary, I would at least go try to comfort them and go there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So ultimately, you know what? I, I think that this movie ultimately is is for for all of its faults and, and, and whatnot, because there are a lot of faults. There are a lot of good things, too. But I feel like this movie is a good example of like a family-friendly kind of spooky movie that you don't see all that often anymore. I'm... I'm thinking of movies along the lines of like Hocus Pocus, which we're going to cover later on, where it's it's ostensibly a scary kind of spooky movie, but it really has a lot of family elements to it as well. And you don't get a ton of those movies anymore. I think a lot of times like the spooky type of movies around Halloween that are supposed to be more family oriented or one, I don't think that there's a ton of them anyway, but the ones that are there, I get the feeling, well, not to get the feeling. That's the wrong way to put it. I, I kind of yeah, think, you do. Mm, I kind of think that the, uh, the movies that would be considered those kind of family type movies nowadays are the ones that get the uh, PG 13 rating. Yeah, that's true. Because they're, I think so too. they're violent, but not that violent. They're maybe risque, but not that risque. There yeah. might be a damn or a hell in there, but there's not going to be like a fuck or a shit. That, yeah, that's true. Like there, there'll be a butt, but not boobs. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And yeah, so I showed my kid this movie and I kind of feel exactly what you're saying. I feel like this is one of those very rare examples of of a very family-friendly Halloween-esque movie Mm -hmm. in that you can absolutely watch this movie with your kids. But you don't have to. But you don't have to. They can watch it on their own. It's spooky enough that they'll feel like they were brave enough to watch a spooky movie. But it's not so spooky that that you might really honestly have to deal with tons of nightmares later unless your kid is crazy sheltered. (laughs) Which is possible. Uh, Yeah. each kid is different. My brother would cry for Land Before Time when it, when he was little. And well, that this Tyrannosaurus movie... is scary. No, no, when the mom died. 
Oh, yeah. Which is sad, to be fair. Mortality is scary. Yes, it is. No, but, uh, and, and this movie would always freak him out when we were really little. But I think that, you know, in our case, watching it with Eleanor, she thought this movie... She genuinely laughed out loud at a lot of the gag joke stuff. Good, good. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, feel, I feel like, like the humor is written to that level right Yes, there. it's absolutely written to like a four-year-old level, three to four-year-old level. And so the jokes are definitely for them. You won't hate it because it's sort of fun and it's short. It's only 45 minutes. Yeah. So if you're going to do one of those nights where everybody watches a movie together while you eat dinner, this could probably be a good example for that. Yeah, it definitely needs to... They definitely need to remaster it and release it on DVD or Absolutely, on Blu-ray. A hundred percent. They have the they Disney has it somewhere. They've got it locked away in that Disney vault they open t- every ten years to put out another princess movie. That's the one that's got all of the war, the World War Two era Disney films where Donald Duck's a Nazi. Yeah, they got a bunch of that stuff in there too. But yeah, Song and South. But uh, they but they really need to re-release. They could release both of them together as like a double disc. They really should put both of them together on a double disc. And you know, a bunch of these people are not. It's not like they're doing tons and tons of work. So at least for the parents or for people like us who you know would be in that age group. Put some, like, maybe writer commentary with Jen over, or maybe have some interviews with the cast who's still alive. That might be kind of fun. Something, just like as a side note, originally David Faustino's character was supposed to be uh, a young Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, he was the one that initially auditioned for the role. And it went to Faustino at the last second. Yeah. Yeah. And this is also a movie that I think that they could remake. Maybe, oh, yeah. And they could update the graphics. They could update Redo the everything. characters. Redo everything. Remake it completely. You just could just keep the, the script. Yeah, you could just keep the core concept of the script, but you could you know remake everything else. What, what would be kind of cool is is the role of of Whitaker, uh, Witherspoon, sorry. Go to Sean Astin instead? No, well, no. So I was thinking... Ooh, go to Mauser? Yes, we'd go to Mauser, and then the dad could be Austin. That'd yeah. be some cool casting. That'd be that'd be like some Fuller House type nonsense yeah, right there. Yeah, that would be perfect. And it's they could t- do it on Netflix, but they, no, they could do it on Disney's new streaming service. That that's going to be yeah. Well, that whatever. It's fine. You know, yeah, just. But yeah, make it and put it on a DVD with that, and yeah. then the other. Th- and come on, Disney! Come on! Come on! This is for sure a fun movie. It's not okay. Like I'm gonna be for real now. It's not good. It's not a great movie. It's not a great movie. But it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. Uh, there's a lot of nostalgia. The music, the spooky music. No, no, no. That's the intro. I'm talking yeah. about. I'm talking about the spooky music. That music. Yeah. That's the stuff that I'm thinking about. Uh, is, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that's like very iconic for me. So I I don't know. I would love to see a re-release of this, a remastering, or even a, a reboot. It's been 30 years, 31 years now. They could do a reboot of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And and ultimately, I think, it, like you said, it's not a great movie, but it's a fun movie. And I would recommend it to anybody who had seen it before. Show it to your kids. If you can find a good quality version of it, that's the hard part, is all the versions that you'll find. There is a good version on YouTube. That's why there's two versions that I found on YouTube. One is the one, as I mentioned in the beginning, I'm going to put a, just a link to the descriptions on our website. You can go 
click on them. That will take you to YouTube and you can watch them there. There's a, a higher def quality one there as well as the original VHS rip with all the commercials. If you want to get like deep into the nostalgia. Yay. Yeah. yeah. So- Juicy fruit. Gonna move ya. Oh my god. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I just took you there. Oh, let's let's come back. Yeah. So uh, I guess that'll do it for this episode. Uh final 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 decision is watch it if you watched it before. Show it to your kids. It's it's good enough for them. Don't don't expect a, a life changing No, do know, not, do not. It, it, but but it's fun. Yeah. So if you want to find us and talk to us on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at RemasteredCast. That is at RemasteredCast. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Childhood Remastered. Please rate us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The rating really helps us out. Yeah, and we'd also like to thank John Howarth for the use of our intro music, Nascent. You can find links to his SoundCloud on our website, childhoodremastered.com. And until next time, this is Sean. And Chris. And this has been your Childhood Remastered. We will see you next time in the future.